We just open our hands as we prepare today to receive the word of the Lord. Jesus, we open our hands as a posture to reflect the posture of our hearts, our minds, our soul, our spirit, our will. We come and present ourselves to you today as living sacrifices, our acceptable worship. Lord, you've heard the words of our mouth today. We pray that you would, Lord, also hear the meditations of our hearts. And that, Lord, you would receive the sacrifice that we bring to you, even of this time to be together with you and your people, to hear your word. So we welcome you today to come and to speak to us out of the fullness of that which is in your hearts today. God, we desire to hear your voice today above all other voices. We desire, Lord, to receive your word more than any human word. So come now, living King, eternal word of God, and speak your living now, today word for us here at Bethel this day and all who will receive and hear this word in the future. For your glory, in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we are continuing on with a study that we began a couple weeks ago entitled Praxis. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. If you do not have your Bible with you this morning, right in front of you in the uh, seat pocket, you will find a Bible that I would encourage you to open up, and you're going to be turning to the sixth book of the New Testament, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the historical book of the book of Acts, the first of Paul's letters that we have for us in the New Testament. Here is Romans, and uh, if you go to page 803, you will find the particular scripture that we're going to be focusing in on and have been focusing in on for uh, the next, uh, the last couple of weeks and for the next several weeks. And in Romans 12, it's a very critical point in the transition of this book. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul really lays out for us the exact and true nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a powerful theological, practical treatise about what the gospel is. And once he's sort of unfolded and unpacked for us the nature of the gospel, then in Romans chapter 12, he shifts attention from what the gospel is to how then we are to respond to the reality of this gospel. And so he says for us, In Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, therefore, and whenever there is a therefore, you always look to know what is the therefore, therefore, and it typically means, it typically calls us back, and that's why I've given you that brief explanation, is in light of all that I've taught you, Paul says, in these first 11 chapters, this first extended portion of this letter, now, therefore, I urge you, friends, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, or in some translations, your acceptable act of worship. This is not, offering our bodies as living sacrifices is not something that is exclusively um, the domain of those who are martyrs who actually give their full life for the gospel. Certainly they are giving their bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. But for most of us, the requirement will not be perhaps our physical life, but it will be a daily and ongoing choice to submit ourselves fully to the reality of the claims of the gospel and of the grace of God over our lives. So like I like to sometimes put it, if you think of your life as a million dollars worth a million dollars, God doesn't require you to, he he generally doesn't say, okay, now I want you to sign your name and and give me the million dollar check all at once. He extracts that from our lives 
one dollar at a time, one day, one moment, one choice at a time, we offer ourselves to him as living sacrifices. That is our acceptable, our reasonable, our spiritual act of worship. Worship is not something that only takes place here on Sunday morning for the couple of hours that we gather. This is a worship service. But worship is something that continues now for the next 166 hours of this week. That is your reasonable worship as you live your life wherever it is that God has placed you. So do not conform, he goes on, any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he goes on and he says, now here's what I want you to do. In in light of this offering yourself as a living sacrifice, you are no longer going to conform to the cultural patterns of this world, the worldview, the values and the behaviors and practices of this world. You are in the process of being transformed into a kingdom, culture, worldview, value system, and behavior pattern. The world is going to try to squeeze you in to its pattern, but like a caterpillar who is being transformed into a butterfly... We are to break out of the cocoon of the cultural patterns of this world, not conform to those any longer, but rather be transformed by the renewing of what? Of your what? Because that's where the battle is. It's in our mindsets, which again are shaped by the values and the worldview that we have been immersed in. And so he says, I'm going to keep reshaping that in you. He goes on then. And this is the text that forms the basis of our conversation over these several weeks. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I'm going to come back to this in a moment. Hold that and underline in, probably not in this Bible, the one in front of you, but in your own Bible or in your mind or in your notes today, the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have one body. My foot has a different function than my hand. My hand has a different function than my eye. My eye has a different function from my arm. The word praxis literally means function. So it's so interesting that Paul goes on immediately after talking about not being conformed to the pattern of this world, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. The next thing that he speaks about is how we are called then to function, to live our lives out practically in the context of the life of the body of Christ as part of a member within the body. He goes on in verse 6 and he says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's or one's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it's serving, let them serve. If it's teaching, let them teach. If it's encouraging, let them encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it's leadership, let them govern diligently. If it's showing mercy... Let them do it cheerfully. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Now you can go back and listen to the previous couple of CDs about this. You can uh, sign up for a CD in the back, in the back table. Or you can go to our website and you can download off of the media portion of there and you can get the previous sermons, because I I unpacked much of that in the previous sermons, and I don't want to do that today, as tempting as it is. 
But I do want to kind of give you, again, a, a, just a bit of orientation about what it is and what these functions and what God has called us to as members of the body of Christ. We are looking during these weeks at the motivational gifts found in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. There are seven gifts listed here. Seven functions or praxis that have been given to us. There is the prophet, and I'm, the, the Bible doesn't use these particular illustrations, I'm just using them to help us kind of get a visual and understanding, a way of framing our understanding, taking this out of the theoretical and bringing it down to the practical. So I'm using these biological realities of our body to kind of be pictures of what each of these entails, what each of these functions does. The prophet, the eye of the body, receives and declares the will of God. The servant is the hands of the body that renders practical service to others. The teacher, the mind of the body, researches and communicates truth. The exhorter is the mouth of the body, encouraging personal and corporate progress. The giver is the arms of the body, sharing time, talent, energy, and resources. The leader is the shoulders of the body, carrying the responsibility of organizing and leading and directing. The mercy gift is the heart of the body, sharing compassion, love, and care to those in need. Every one of us in this room has a particular motivational gift. I believe it is part of the DNA that has been woven into our lives. There is one primary motivational gift which we function in. We function in all of these gifts, and we're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But there is one primary function that each of us, in a sense, functions in. And we might not know what that is yet, But that's part of what this is to discover. You maybe know what that gift is. Part of the purpose of this series is to help activate that again in your life. Now last week we looked at the motivational gift of... Oh, sorry. Before we get there, let me give you one more way of kind of, of framing this, the categories of these gifts and the praxis. All right? In 1 Peter 4.11, the Apostle Peter writes, If anyone speaks, they should do as one, so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter here seems to indicate that there perhaps are two primary categories of these motivational gifts. One is speaking gifts. Those would include the prophet, the teacher, the exhorter, and the leader. The serving gifts would then include the servant, the giver, and the mercy gift. So this is simply another way of kind of, and again, I'm just using the scriptures here illustratively to give us. I mean, the Bible doesn't list them in those categories, okay? We want to put everything in boxes. The box can help if it provides some understanding. The box is not meant to imprison. It doesn't mean that the prophet doesn't actually serve. It doesn't mean that the servant doesn't actually speak, okay? Let me get that out of the way up front, all right? So, but there's a primary sense in which these can be categorized in these ways. All right? Now, practicals. For the grace of God, remember I asked you to kind of underline this in your mind. Let's look at a couple of practicals. First of all, from Romans 12, 3. For the grace given me, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. Likewise, in Romans 12, 6, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us, 
If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Now, what is this talking about, this measure of faith, this proportion of faith? He's using, actually, mathematical terms here. Okay? It's very dangerous for me to talk about math. Because that would not be one of my motivational or any other gifts. Okay? Though I can do basic, you know, all right. But, in our household... Math is the domain of my lovely wife. And my son, Noah, who's waving his hand. Yes. After three daughters who all have a mind like me, Noah, Noah came along and God was so gracious to give to Annette a child with a mind like hers. Okay. But the word here, the, the literal word is, is, an, is algorithm. Anybody heard of that word? I have no idea what it means. Okay. But it has to do with, with proportions and, and measures. It's a, it's a way of, you know, right, the algorithm, that's the thing that you used. Okay. So my son, when he was doing the Rubik's Cube, he wrote out the algorithms to figure out the Rubik's Cube. Okay. That would not be me. All right? So that he can do it in about, you know, 60 seconds, you know, two minutes, he's got it done, whatever. All right, that's algorithm. All right, so I digress. Let's go back to measure of faith. All right, so first of all, here's, here's a practical. So each week I'm going to try to give you some practical um, principles related to the use of spiritual gifts, okay? So I've given some the first couple of weeks. I'm not going to repeat those. I'm going to move forward and give you another one today. Everyone is to use their gift in accordance with the measure of faith. Now, when we talk about the measure of faith, it's a standard of God's truth. Thinking neither too highly or too lowly of ourselves. Here's the deal. Have you ever, you know, heard the story of the little boy who um, came down? He was about five years old, and he came down, and he told mommy and daddy, and he said, Mommy, daddy. I'm five foot tall. And they said, well, Billy, how did you figure out that you're five foot tall? He said, well, I took our measuring chart and I put it on the wall and I stood there and I was five feet tall. Well, the measuring chart began at three feet. He had it down on the ground. Okay? You get the picture? He was measuring by something other than standard measurement. We often measure ourselves according to sometimes our own standard of measurement, our own sense of perfection or whatever that looks like for us or lack thereof, or we measure ourselves by other people and we say, relative to them, I'm doing well, relative to them, I'm not doing so well, and up and down, and so... But, but, but Paul, talking in Romans 12, is not talking about measuring ourselves against our own standard or anyone else, but measuring ourselves by the word of truth. We are to sit under this measure. And so all that we do is framed through the reference point of God's truth, and also it is that truth which enables us to think properly about ourselves. Humility is not the same as worm theology. I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I have nothing, I'm only a poor worm. I don't even really, you know, God, it's just that I really shouldn't even exist on the earth. That's not who you are. That's not thinking properly about yourself. What does God say about you? That's what that measure of faith is. What God says about who you are. About your value. About your purpose. About your call. About your destiny. And, it's, and, and when it's God speaking into you about that, then you don't think higher than yourself or lower. He takes the low places and brings them up, the high places and brings them down, and makes a level place in your heart. Do you get this? Everybody tracking? 
You doing okay? Secondly, everyone is to use their gift in proportion to their faith, which is the degree of spiritual enablement given to each Christian for the discharge of their particular responsibility. Here's the deal. When God calls you to do something, he gives you the equipping to be able to fulfill that calling. He will give you spiritual enablement in proportion to the need of the call in your life. The scripture that I have here up here is 2 Corinthians 10, 13, which, which is where Paul uses the exact same word. Listen to it because you've heard it, all right? Wait a minute. Never mind. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I've got to get to that scripture in a moment. But 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. It says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. Here's the good news, people. God gives you enablement to do what he's called you to do, but he does not call you to do beyond your proper limits, beyond the field which he has assigned for you. Here's where a lot of us get into trouble. Is when we attempt to do in our own strength an assignment that God has not given us to do. Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance from the Lord. God has apportioned to you. That's why he's given you a proportion of faith. It's the same root word to do the apportionment of work, the assignment that he's given to you. Everybody tracking so far? Okay? Good. Let's go on. This is critical. We already looked at Scripture, but I want to look at it through a different lens right now. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God's. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Here's the deal, people. First of all, everyone who speaks, should do so with the inspiration, the God breath, the breath of God, the breath of the Spirit, not simply your own good thoughts or ideas. So if your motivational gift is one of those speaking gifts, the prophet, the teacher, what are the other two? The exhorter and the leader, it's really, really easy to slip into doing things out of your own perspiration rather than out of the inspiration of the Spirit. Because we all got thoughts. I got a lot of thoughts. I got lots and lots and lots of thoughts. I got lots of ideas. And some of them are okay. But when I stand here to present to you or when I'm speaking, whatever it is, in whatever situation, I want to speak the words of the Lord. Not simply, man. when I'm counseling, I don't want to simply bring my own practical wisdom. I want to bring the wisdom of the Lord. Okay? Secondly, everyone who serves must depend upon the strength God supplies for doing their service, not on their own zeal or strength. Now come with me, if you would, to... 2 Corinthians 9.10, because this is where that word shows up as well. 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. When we are serving, And we're going to get into this in a moment because this morning we're going to be talking about the motivational gift of the servant who are particularly prone to be vulnerable 
to serving in their own strength. Peter makes it clear here that we are to do our serving in the strength that God provides, that he supplies to us, not our own zeal, strength, or energy. So when we're talking about engaging and we're talking about praxis and functioning, we are talking about doing, okay? We are talking about actively engaging and doing something. But what I want to make certain that we understand this morning is that that doing flows directly out of being with him. It's as we abide in Him that He gives us the strength and ability to do what He's invited and called us to do, which sometimes is way beyond our own strength or ability. Okay? Is everybody with me? Are you still here? Serving with the strength God provides. So what I don't want you to do is come away from this sermon series and get the treadmill anointing. Climbing on the hamster wheel. I just got to work harder and harder and harder here. God is calling us to work. That's what engagement is about, is to work. But it's not working in our own strength. It's working in his strength flowing through us with his energy, with his power with his breath, with his inspiration, with his life. Okay? So I just want to be really, really clear on that. All right. Last week we looked at the motivational gift of prophet. Let me just remind you very quickly. A prophet perceives. Prophets typically see black and white in people and in systems and situations. They have strong opinions and convictions about bringing light into darkness. They pray. The prophet is called to intercede based on God's truth for his plans and purposes to be worked out in all situations. Thirdly, a prophet proclaims. The prophet persuasively communicates the will of God clearly and directly through word, picture, and actions. And the prophet promotes, encourages repentance, a change of direction to reorient ourselves around biblical principles that will produce good fruit. Perceives prays, proclaims, promotes. Okay? You can go to last week's message and get all the fill in the blanks around that. We're going to move on now to the motivational gift of servant. Romans 12, verse 7, if it is serving, then serve. Let's give a definition. All right? Our definition is this. A definition for servant, the word, the Greek word is diakonoia, which literally means practical service. It's the word out of which we get the word deacon. That's why we have called deacons in the church. We call them ministry coordinators, but it's the same thing. It's deacons doing that work. The root word is diak, and there's a whole host of words connected with diak as the root, which literally means waiting at table. It encompasses, now this is very critical, please. This encompasses both practical and spiritual ministry. In fact, the word deacon is literally many times when you read in your Bible and it uses and it says ministry, that's the word, diakonoia. Ministry, that word flows from this word, diak, diakonoia. So it's a ministry, but it's not only practical, though that's the way it often looks and gets expressed and is manifested, but it is a very, very spiritual ministry, which we'll get into in a moment. So the motivational gift of servant, here's a working definition, describes one who renders practical ministry to others in deeds and actions through the grace through the grace, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the grace and with the power of the Holy Spirit renders practical ministry to others in deeds 
and actions. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 10. You can look it up in your Bible or it's up here on the screen for you. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work for myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are indeed needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I am not going to do the typical message on poor, you know, let's all beat up on poor Martha message, okay? Because Martha actually is a powerful illustration for us of the gift as well as the vulnerability of the servant. So sometimes we come away from this, particularly those who have a servant gift, okay, which is one of my motivational gifts, and you walk away and you go, Bummer, why can't I just be more like Mary and just, I just want to sit around at Jesus' feet too. (sighs) (sighs) And you're kind of frustrated. But I think we need to understand that Martha, there's there's more scriptures like John 12 too. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. I don't think it is actually too much of a stretch to say this. Jesus says, you know, foxes and birds, they have a place, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But I think, and I, you know, we can ask Jesus and you can ask him when you get up there and if I'm wrong, forgive me. But my sense is, is that if Jesus were going to say, this is a place I feel at home, he'd have said, Martha, Mary's, and Lazarus's place. Because we got them over and over and over again. Well, that didn't happen by accident. There was a servant in that house by the name of Martha who made Jesus feel enormously welcome. Who just provided. I have this feeling that when when Jesus walked into Martha and Mary's house, he just sort of relaxed. Because she provided something, a space for him. You know, hospitality is providing a safe space for people. I think Martha provided a safe place, a safe space for Jesus to be able to unwind and relax and simply be present and not feel like do something, but just to enjoy. So let's, let's, I want to take this and just this little illustration and some other pieces from Scripture and unpack this and look at what the motivational gift of servant looks like. Four words, they all happen to begin with S, okay? So I know it's shocking. So, but there we are. All right. First of all, the servant sees. The servant sees. I love this picture in Luke 7. Jesus turns towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? So this is the picture. Jesus is at house. He's gone. He's been the guest. He's come there. This woman comes in and she begins to pour out her tears. She wipes his feet with her hair and everybody gets all of their um, righteous undies in a bundle. All right? And they're all... What does she do? And, and, and he turns toward the woman and says to Simon, well, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven forgives. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I wanted to use her as a picture because I want you to understand that one of the things that a servant does is a servant sees what the need is. Have you ever watched a servant at work? Just watch a servant at work in like a a family gathering. The servant is the one 
who's making sure that there's coffee in the pot, that there is, you know, sufficient food over here, that they're cleaning up over they're, they're doing, They're looking and they're seeing the need. And they're attending to the concerns of those who are around them. A, a, a servant sees practical needs. A lot of the other gifts are standing around. Watching and observing. Thinking, why is that servant working so hard? Why don't they just come and sit down? Why don't they just chillax? And the servant is thinking, why are they all standing around? Don't they see the needs? Would they please just stop just sort of observing and get busy doing something? That's why Martha with Mary... All right? Yeah? All right. So, the, the servant sees. The servant recognizes practical and spiritual needs and is quick to meet them. They are more interested in meeting the needs of others than their own needs. Note to self, servant. One of the besetting vulnerabilities of the servant is... They are more interested and they will be willing to pour out themselves to meet the needs of others to the expense, to the expense of getting their own needs met. And often, the servant is the one most vulnerable to end up trying to do it in their own strength and most vulnerable to burnout. Okay? Everybody tracking? You okay? All right. The servant, surprisingly enough, serves. Okay. Acts 6. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn the responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. So here they had a plan to, to, to release servants into the ministry of meeting the practical needs of those who were being overlooked. But again, please notice that the service was not only practical, it was spiritual. They were supposed to pick people who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. Because doing service well requires wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the servant enjoys manual projects and jobs and functions, often sharing love for others in deeds and actions more than in words. Servants are often very creative. They're the people who love gardening. They're the people who enjoy even the arts, can do all kinds of things. They, they enjoy like mechanics and engines and all those strange, wondrous things that I don't understand, but they enjoy all of that. Oftentimes, they're, they're often very hands-on people, but they have a wisdom that comes from God. When they're functioning as God intended them to function, they serve, they support. Listen up. Notice what it says about Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Servants are the one who come alongside of the other gifts to support them and release them into their gift. Servants are often the most loyal of people and are willing to stand behind the scenes to hold up and encourage and support others in their giftings. Now, here's where the spiritual part comes in. Listen carefully. I don't know if I can prove this from Scripture, but I think if you look throughout Scripture and if you just look through experience, servants are often the most powerful in their authority 
in the Spirit in terms of their prayers. God, I don't know, God listens to servants. He was one. He loves servants and he loves to hear their voices, supporting and encouraging. So when you're thinking, if God's called you to be a servant, and even when you're doing the practical servant kinds of things, do them in the attitude and in the atmosphere of prayer, and God will multiply your efforts incredibly. The servant invests their time talents, resources in the life of ministry of others, enabling others to use their gifts more freely and effectively. Finally, the servant stays. We were talking about earlier, you know, servants often the last one out because they're staying until the job is done. Tychicus will tell you the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to, him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. The servant is loyal to those that they serve and will stay with something until it is completed. They are faithful and fruitful in their serving. Servants are incredibly loyal. They stick with it. They stay with it. They don't let go. They stand alongside. They continue to support. They continue to serve. They continue to see. Servants are powerful in their kingdom work in the Lord. All right. Here's the invitation to us. Some of you are already going, I got that. I think I know that's where my picture hangs, okay? I'm going to put my picture next to one of the gifts. I think I'm a servant. But just like with all of the gifts and like we discovered with the prophetic gift last week, this doesn't let the rest of us out. We'll just let the servants serve while we do our thing over here. Uh-uh. We can all see needs around us. Whoever serves me must also follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. Wherever Jesus, a good way to ask it is, Jesus, where are you today and how can I be with you? Is there a need that I can see? Is there a need that I can meet? Is there something I can do either practically or spiritually in this situation? A servant. God wants to give us all eyes of the servant to begin to see the needs that are around us. We can all serve others in love. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're all called to serve, to love our neighbors. When you see someone in need, and you are there, and God has placed you in that situation, by heaven, get up and serve in Jesus' name. And be the hands, the love of God. All right? If the servant is the hands of the body, then be his hands to those who are in need. We can all support others in their calling. I'm going to get back to this another week. Let me just mention it here. If you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. So we often think that our gift, whatever it is, unconsciously we think it's the most important gift. But the reality is God calls us to support each other, everyone in our callings. When, when uh, Jesus, they were having this discussion, remember, and they were saying who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus kind of sits them down and whacks them upside the head and says, not so with you. 
You're not going to be like these Gentiles who lord it over one another. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your... Your what? Your what? And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what is your call? Use it and begin. All of us are called to serve one another and support others in the calling God has given to them. Everybody gets elevated. You know what? You're never going to be diminished by holding somebody else up. That doesn't diminish you. That elevates you. And we can all stay faithful to God's call to serve. His master replied, you know the parable of the talents. Worship team, come on up. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness, your master's joy. Whether we've been given one talent, two talents, three, five, ten, a hundred talents, whatever the talent God has given to us, we can all be faithful and stay with it and do what God has called us to do in his house, with his people, in his kingdom, with the people around us who are not yet come, who are not yet here. We are all called to be faithful. We're all called to be faithful to God's call to serve. All right. We're going to do what I've said we were going to do each week. And I hope that everybody tracked, everybody's okay, followed this, got a sense, all right? I know I haven't said everything, we could talk more, but I'm not going to. Lunch is happening at my house pretty soon. Did you know that, by the way? If you haven't been to my house for lunch, please come today. Really want you to come and enjoy. But just before we get there to the food and The, the press on my heart through this series is that God wants to activate and engage. He call it, he's calling us in this year to engage. He wants to activate these particular gifts. So if you have a sense this morning, and don't worry about it, we're not going to, I'm not writing down names, okay? I'm not going to hold you to this, but if you just have a sense that, yep, that's me, I'm a servant, would you stand up? If that's your motivational gift. Would you please stand because I want to pray for you and we're going to pray for you today. You're called, you're a servant. Look around you, beautiful people. Precious. All right. Would you just reach out your hand to the servant standing nearby you? If, you, if there's somebody standing and there's nobody nearby them, move around. We're just going to bless. I just want to bless the servants this morning. One of the, I'm going to say this, this is the last thing I want to say. Um, One of the besetting vulnerabilities for servants. One of the places where the enemy can kind of get a foothold. Servants sometimes function in a victim mentality. Because they've been taken advantage of. Or at least they perceive that. They feel like the people that they've been used. I think that's what was going on with Martha. Martha. I think she was feeling a bit used. That wasn't reality. And Jesus, remember, Jesus didn't rebuke her for her gift. He just was talking about the attitude with which that, that had crept into her heart. And so here's two things. First is a, a word of encouragement to those of you who are maybe struggling with that victim place. I want you to know God sees. He sees. And the most important thank you you can get is the one that comes from him. 
And sometimes that's going to be the only thank you you're going to get. But God sees. And he loves you. Servants, he loves you. And the other is a word of exhortation to the rest of the gifts. And that is, you and I must pay attention to those who are serving among us and affirm them and encourage them. I want to build in this house a culture and ethos of encouragement, of affirmation that just permeates this house. Because we all get elevated. The servant is unlikely to get a big head when you affirm them. In fact, they're probably going to say, oh, it was nothing. Oh, you really, I don't think you really liked my meal all that much. I mean, after all, you know, the rolls were a little bit burnt. It, it could have been better. But it's like oxygen in their lungs when they hear you say, thank you. So would you please put some oxygen into their lungs? And I want to say as your pastor, thank you. I love this house. I love how people step up and engage and serve. And I hope, I try to remember to tell you that, but if you haven't heard it out of my lips in a while, thank you. Thank you. So Jesus, I pray that you'd pour out grace right now. Pour out strength on these servants, Lord. Pour out your spirit today on these servants, Lord. Fill them up today afresh with just um, a, a, a new awareness, Lord, of your, of your affirmation upon them, of your care and love for them. Pour in, Jesus, today your, affirma- your fullness of God, what you have for their lives, Jesus. Speak into them hope and encouragement and strength today. Lord, let them find their place in you today. Minister, Lord, deeply, deeply, deeply into their souls today. Come, Spirit of God. Come and release, Lord, life in your servants today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. With your hands open, I pray now that you be filled afresh even this day with the immeasurable love of God the Father. The irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, the Son. The inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours. Sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor and goodness over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy will chase you down each and every day for his glory and praise and all God's people said